financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions. Welcome to another edition of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic, here with my co-host, Jonah Bronstein of the New Bronstein Times. Uh, I think I'm still recovering from the combine in Indianapolis. Um, a lot of networking is accomplished there. Networking has a tendency to affect my liver as much as it does my, uh, my notepad. One gets uh, a little fuller than the other, but a, uh, but a productive week in Indianapolis. I learned a lot of things that you will be reading in my coverage uh, as stories roll out here in the coming weeks, um, what the Bills uh, have in mind with everything from free agency to the stadium, um, how their coaching staff is structured. Uh, Jonah, you did not go to Indianapolis. Did you, um, did you take care of yourself? Are you in tip-top shape? I don't know if I'd say that. I, I've been trying to take care of myself. I've been covering a lot of basketball games. I think I might have caught a rhinovirus or something of the sort and got a little bit of the sniffles and some coughs. But uh, that's what you get when you're in the gym every day grinding out the stories. And sometimes you wear yourself down a little bit. Your immune system can't handle all of this Bronstein enterprising. I think the change in the weather is a big factor too, because uh, I don't know if plants are getting activated uh, for the spring, but uh, allergies seem to be giving me some well, trouble. The other thing is I, I first started to feel this little bit of tickle in my throat. The first time I had uh, encountered John Warrow in about four five, six weeks. So he might've brought something back from China that got into my lungs and I haven't been able to shake for a few days now. Back from China or maybe just back from having a smoke. You know, you just yeah, catch things off it. of the fibers of yeah. his uh, of his vest. Right. We're just breathing in each other's mouths and some of that shrapnel from the cigarettes transfers from one breath to another. It was nice to see John, though. I haven't seen him in a while. I haven't seen him at a local event covering the Sabres. He brings a certain energy into the building that I think is missed when he's not there. Well, uh, I'm going to be in the Sabres building again this week. Uh, the return of Jack yeah. Eichel on Thursday night. Um, biggest Sabres game of the Sabres season. I think so. Uh, I think it is. I think the second biggest game of the Sabres season might have been when Jack Eichel made his debut against the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, a couple. What of about weeks ago. last night when former Sabres Brandon Montour, Jonas Johansson, and Samson Reinhardt returned? Yeah. Um, six to one was the final. It was very close to being six nil. And the Sabres have looked really awful since I wrote that column that they might be turning the corner. Um, it'll be interesting to see what reaction Jack Eichel gets. Uh, I would not be surprised uh, if there are, are dueling chants, uh, both for and again. Uh, what do you think will happen on Thursday? 
Well, Sam Reinhart got a nice applause last night when they did. They didn't do a tribute video, but they showed him on the screen and said, welcome back, him and Montour. And Montour, I think, had already scored a goal by that point. Um, the big question is whether he gets the full tribute video and welcome back celebration from the Sabres game staff or not, because that hasn't been the case for Reinhardt and Rasmus Ristolainen earlier this season. Um, I think last night it might have been awkward. Do we give a big tribute video to Reinhardt and not Montour? Then there's more than one player coming back. Does that change the dynamics? Jack Eichel's as good and popular with players the Sabres have had in the last seven, eight seasons. So if he doesn't get one, nobody gets one. And as far as the fans, I mean, maybe there'll be a little bit of booze. I think especially if Jack Eichel goes out there and hits somebody or scores some goals and people start getting into their rooting interest a little bit. But I think generally when he's introduced and it's the first time he's in the starting lineup, something like that, he'll get cheers from the crowd, I think, and some appreciation. There is so much resentment, though, towards Jack Eichel because he is uh, the personification of those tank seasons and so many straight years uh, without the playoffs. Um, a growing narrative, I think, that you hear among fans, and it comes from you know some in the media who who believe he was a cancer in the in the dressing room and didn't uh, he couldn't lead and and didn't have the right posture and just exuded frustration all the time. Um, I, I think there might be some venting that goes on among Sabres fans, but how full is the building going to be really to to be able to sense that that that'll be. Um, that, that'll be fascinating uh, for me uh, when I go on Thursday just to see uh, the sheer number of empty seats might speak the loudest uh, of how uh, irrelevant the Sabres have gotten in, in hockey heaven. Um, I don't know. It's, um, it, it's, uh, it's a story. Yeah, and in some way, just to figure out what you said, Jack Eichel asked his way out of town, and it was – not as overt, but he did make some trade requests and kind of pushed to have this scenario. And uh, it might be strong to say he quit on the Sabres, but I think he left the Sabres. And he, he wanted to leave. And he, and a lot of times that makes you unpopular in the market that you um, turned your back on a little bit. And I think there is some of that sentiment. But the Sabres squashed their goodwill in that regard with the way they handled the neck injury and the surgery and the trade. And I think there's more sympathy for Jack Eichel than there is resentment and anger as to why he didn't want to play here anymore. But rooting interests do play such a powerful role in how fans um, process these types of things. And the Sabres in return received two very popular players, uh, Alex Tuck and uh, Peyton Krebs have, have both uh, uh, impressed Sabres fans so far. And so, it's easier, I think, to disconnect from Jack Eichel when the team has immediate, tangible assets that, that fans can root for. Uh, there's not the dread uh, or the weight of, you know, what's the, what are the draft picks going to turn out to be five years from now? So just from the, the visceral aspect of we want to cheer for the guys who wear our sweater, uh, I'm, there could be. Uh, some it might be easier uh, for Sabres fans to turn the page uh, on on Jack Eichel the other thing is the people that want to punch down at the Sabres and and believe that nothing that they do is right and that Jack Eichel was an avatar of how this franchise has screwed up over the last several years and ownerships failings they don't come to the games anymore and it's expected that there'll be a little bit of a bigger crowd for this game to see Jack Eichel 
but I don't know if certain people are going to buy tickets. Thousands of people that haven't been going to the game are going to buy tickets just to cheer Jack Eichel and boo the Sabres. I think there might be some Jack Eichel fans that show up in their jerseys to, to cheer for him and see him play again. But I don't know if the Sabres haters are going to go into their pockets to come and voice their displeasure. Since we last recorded, uh, speaking of players uh, who worked their way out of town, uh, the Buffalo Bills have granted permission uh, to wide receiver Cole Beasley to seek a trade. And I don't know really the background on how that comes to be. Um, I had left Indianapolis uh, by the time that that uh, had become a story. I didn't really have a chance to speak face to face with some of my sources regarding that, but um, I really find it uh, intriguing. Uh, And yes, it seems as though Cole Beasley could be back. He is under contract and the bills don't have to trade him. But when you have a guy who is, would like to get out, isn't it better sometimes just to move on from the guy? If you don't want to be here anymore, then, uh, then leave. I mean, I think, I think I saw this coming that Cole Beasley wasn't going to be part of the bills going forward for age and football and contract. Brandon Bean said he would be though at the, at the season. Yeah, but I think you could see it all season that this was coming to an end in terms of his role on the team and his age and also the off field stuff that I think factored into that mixed in. I was a little surprised to see that he he was given permission to seek a trade in the sense that I'm not so sure they'll get something for him in a trade. But if you're the bills at this point in the off season, you probably are better off putting him on the trade block before you release him. Maybe they end up releasing him later, but why not try to get an asset for that? And then certain ways with the dead cap money, maybe it's better to trade him than to release him. I think that'll be somewhat neutral. And a lot of that in the reporting I saw on that, some of this has to do with Cole Beasley wants a new contract and the bills aren't really interested in giving him a new contract. So if he was willing to come back and play out the final year of his deal and be happy about that, then maybe they wouldn't be so quick to, get rid of him. I I think it's more intriguing that if they do get rid of Cole Beasley, which seems to be the case uh, that that will happen. Isaiah McKenzie is a free agent. Emmanuel Sanders is a free agent for different reasons. The bills might not be able to, or willing to re-sign them. They don't have very many receivers on the roster and are going to have to fill several spots in that receiver room through the draft or free agency. Could also be a, a situation where the Bills would like Cole Beasley to restructure his contract for salary cap purposes, and he says no. Or uh, a lot of times when the agent is now working the trade instead of Brandon Bean working the trade, it's because they, they, they're going to require security. They, they want a different deal. Uh, if, uh, if they're going to move, they want to at least be able to uh, have some say as to which team uh, so that way, Cole Beasley could a be happy with his landing spot, but also if uh, that team uh, perhaps willing uh, to to help him out with the contract that he's currently under. Um, just for the record, a lot of people are wondering. I think there's a general sense that Cole Beasley did not have nearly as big of a presence this past season as he had the previous two with the Buffalo Bills, and and that's mostly accurate. Uh, his first year with Buffalo in 2019. He had 106 targets. It went up to 107 and then to 112. Uh, He played only 16 games last year, so it's not necessarily just because there was an extra game. But he had 82 receptions in each of the last two seasons. 
but he had 967 yards in 2020, only 693 yards. Uh, so his yards per reception go down three full yards. He also had six touchdowns his first year, four touchdowns last uh, two seasons ago, one touchdown last year. So if you, it feels like Cole Beasley didn't have as much of a presence in the Bills offense as even though he was just as busy, he wasn't doing as much uh, with the targets uh, that came his way. Um, also, his first downs, you talk about what a, you know, uh, how great he was at moving the chains. 53 first downs in 2020, 34 first downs last year. Um, yes, the Bills are going to have to do some juggling with, uh, with personnel uh, to try to maintain the all-precious continuity around Josh Allen, which has seriously eroded on the coaching staff. And also with the quarterback depth chart, the Bills uh, fully expect Matt, uh, Mitchell Trubisky uh, to get an offer to at least compete for a starting job somewhere. Uh, so he's gone. Of course, Brian Dable, the offensive coordinator, is gone. Assistant quarterbacks coach Shea Tierney is gone. Um, even Jake Fromm's gone. Uh, he was signed off the practice squad by the Giants last season. So, yes, Ken Dorsey's still around. Uh, oh, Davis Webb also gone. The coach, uh, the so-called coach on the field, Davis Webb, um, he's also gone. Um, so familiarity around Josh Allen, do you, his offensive line coach is different. Bobby Johnson also left to the Giants. Aaron Cromer comes in. Some people believe that that's an upgrade in terms of the coach, uh, but it's imperative, imperative that the Bills blocking schemes resemble what Josh Allen is used to so he can make the calls at the line of scrimmage, so he can identify things as, as seamlessly as he did um, over the – the course of, of playing under uh, Brian Dable and, and with Bobby Johnson on the staff. So um, a lot of change at receiver uh, could also impact Josh Allen's uh, comfort level uh, with the 2022 offense. But Stefan Diggs returns, Gabriel Davis returns, yeah. Dawson Knox returns, the offensive line, if the Bills want the same starting five, could have that. So unless they make major changes with the system and the scheme, I think that there'll be a good amount of continuity. It might be a lot of different small parts, but it's the same engine, the same motor, the same machine. It should be at least. Yeah, that's what you'd hope. I mean, that's the, it should be, you're right. Um, but little changes make big differences sometimes for negatively and positively. You, you go through the course of history of sports history and, uh, and find that uh, the one locker room leader, the guy who didn't produce much on the field, had such a big role uh, behind the scenes in helping prepare legend X uh, to get ready and to take the next step. Uh, you know, the, thinking back to the Buffalo Sabres teams I covered and the Mike Greers of the world, uh, who Chris Drury couldn't live without, uh, but didn't necessarily uh, translate onto the score sheet uh, very often, but there are some of these guys uh, that uh, uh, they're important. They're important and you lose too many of them and it can be significant. Um, while we stay on football and we're going to get to basketball uh, in a little bit, but news of the day, and we've been talking about it uh, most recently with Jerry Sullivan, uh, the problem of sports gambling uh, and its proliferation now that it's uh, at least uh 
in the state of New York, uh, now that it's legal here and we're getting inundated with all the ads and the promos and um, you know, we've talked about the, the drawbacks to being able to bet on sports uh, so readily and Atlanta Falcons wide receiver Calvin Ridley has been suspended for the entire 2022 season um, for getting caught betting on three parlays that all included the Falcons to win. We don't know what the other parlays were, but the NFL says that its investigation showed that it did not include insider information. Um, so I mean, my assumption when I hear that there's an eight-leg, one of them was an eight-leg parlay, would include something along the lines of a teammate going over a certain number of receptions uh, or yardage. Um, there, we don't know exactly what, what the parlays were, but um, to me, I mean, that's pretty easy to get insider information if you're on the team, even though he was away from the team while on, uh, on leave for uh, mental health. Uh, he wasn't with the team when he placed these bets, but he still certainly had access to game plans and talking to teammates about what was going to happen in the upcoming game. Um, I guess, Jonah, your, your initial thought on this um, quagmire that professional sports finds itself uh, entering with professional gambling now that one of its stars has been caught and suspended for a full year. Well, it was a kind of a shocking headline the first time you see it, but then when I thought about it, I wasn't very surprised and I wouldn't be naive enough to think that Kelvin Ridley was the only NFL player that bet on an NFL game in the past year or in recent years. And I don't think that this is a new phenomenon that has only happened because of the legalization of gambling and the NFL going into business with a lot of these gambling sites. What seems to be the case is that the partnership between these sites and the NFL was what led to Kelvin Ridley getting caught, that they had the ability to go into these accounts and figure out uh, that he was betting and whatnot when it was probably going on over the years uh, with bookies and on the black market and the, there was really no way for the NFL to find out this information nor want to find out this information because I think in some ways it does help the NFL's credibility when you find somebody doing this punish them and make an example out of them because it does show one it maybe it deters players from doing this in the future two it shows that, you know, the NFL takes that kind of thing seriously. And I don't know if how the fans will react, but it lets the public know that the NFL will punish players for gambling on the game. So you shouldn't be worried that the games are being fixed by players that have gambling interests. My initial reaction was one year sounds like a lot of time for uh, Ridley uh, claimed that he bet a total of $1,500 in a tweet uh, and said that he didn't have uh, a gambling problem. Um, but it's a lot less than Pete Rose. I mean, that's sure. Well, $1,500 to an NFL player is like you were, you or I betting $10. So it's, it doesn't, if he's, if he's telling the truth, that doesn't sound like an issue to me. Um, one full year. Um, but again, you're right. It's the first one. It's setting an example. There is now a standard uh, that uh, all other players uh, must meet or else. Uh, so it does send a loud message. 
but the longer I thought about it and the more I saw fan reaction, I, I was, I was surprised by the, the amount of not only fans, but former players, analysts, uh, media who cover professional sports saying, what's the big deal. And I think that, uh, that opinion, if that becomes a consensus over time, is a real problem uh, for the NFL. And, this, and what it's based on is the hypocrisy of the NFL itself, or all, all major league sports, that have taken on the – I'm not saying it's a hypocrisy, but it's a, it's a perceived hypocrisy of sports shoving – this down everyone's throats, all their fans saying, bet, 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 get, you know, bet early, bet off and get involved. Look how fun this is. It's thrilling. It makes even the worst football game feel like the Super Bowl. You can, you know, get, you know, builds the drama and it, you know, all it's, it's, it's what you can, uh, it's what you can wake up in the morning looking forward to, but then telling its players uh, do not touch. Uh, or you are going to be punished severely. And I actually see the line. I, I do think it's an integrity of the game situation. Um, clearly, the, the public needs to know that everything is being done on the up and up. Um, it'll be interesting because I do think there are connections to how the NFL might view uh, the allegations made in Brian Flores' lawsuit against the NFL. And, uh, and the Dolphins, Giants, and Broncos. Uh, oh, because it was mentioned in there that, uh, that Stephen Ross, the Dolphins owner, uh, offered him a bonus to lose games on purpose, you know, to tank. Um, so that, to me, goes to the integrity of the game, uh, maybe even more so when you're, when you're bribing your, your coach to lose and the coach has way more influence on who wins and loses or what happens on the field than one player who needs to have the ball thrown to him, by the way. Um, so it's, I'm still sorting it out in my mind, but it, uh, it's not, I, I the, re, the response from the public makes me wonder if five or 10 years from now, if players are, are getting caught betting, uh, if it will be seen like marijuana or Coke usage uh, is today compared to when we were growing up, Jonah, because you, you know, you got busted for Coke as a, as a major league baseball player in the eighties, you might as well have committed a murder in the eyes of fans. You know, it was ultimate betrayal. Uh, I'm thinking of the trial that involved, uh, uh, you know, Keith Hernandez and Daryl Porter, and there were a couple of players. And now you hear about a player, you know, tested positive for cocaine or something like that. And we're like, eh, whatever, you know, it, it's, it's not the, it's not the, it's not the scarlet letter that it used to be. And so I, I was just stunned that there wasn't more universal, uh, universal criticism of, or of Ridley himself. It seemed to me to be rather mixed as to whether or not what he did was a big deal. I mean, I saw some videos going out there showing him on some plays running backwards. And there, there's been, I think a little bit of a lot of jokes about him, maybe more than criticism, but I just think this would, you can roll it in with the Brian Flores lawsuit and a lot of different things. The NFL just seems to be 
stiff arming every controversy and negative story. And it doesn't seem to be hurting the popularity or the interest in the league one bit. And maybe this stuff does add up. Um, you know, there was a lot of talk over years that the concussion lawsuits and things like that would lead to declining popularity of football in the NFL. That really hasn't happened yet. And these new scandals and new negative stories don't seem to be hurting them from a popularity and marketing perspective in any single way, but maybe they do add up over the years and maybe it, I mean, I don't know. Does, does players betting on the games make the fans less likely to bet on the games because they don't believe in the integrity of what they're watching? I, I don't know if that happens off of one incident. It would have to be several examples of teams and players conspiring to fix the games. And even uh, my damn Miami Dolphins owner giving incentive to tank. I don't know if that's the same thing. Well, how much did the, the Tim game. Donahue scandal impact the NBA? Yeah, not really. It's something that people talk about and mention when there's bad officiating in playoff games or it's kind of become a, a, a bit of a running joke that people might make at certain times, but it hasn't hurt the NBA's popularity and appeal. And even if you do think the officials affect some games in certain ways, there isn't a really a belief that the NBA is fixed. I think we think that these games are all being played with integrity until we're proven otherwise sometimes after the fact. Yeah. I, I think that um, I, I maybe need time still to, to find out what I think about uh, the whole thing. Uh, I, but it still sticks with me that a year seems like an awful lot. Then again, you know, uh, do you want the guy coming back in the middle of the season, out of sight, out of mind, uh, hit the reset button? I get it. He's given up $11 million. It's not just a year of playing football. It's $11 million he was going to make this season. Plus, it delays his free agency by a year because he doesn't get an accrued season. Um, um, I don't think it was a coincidence that the NFL announced this yesterday. Um I'm sure that the NFL knew today was going to be a big day in the NFL. Obviously, it's franchise tag day. So you had a news cycle that would help uh, whitewash uh, whatever was discussed on Monday. And I'm sure that the NFL uh, had some inkling uh, that major moves uh, were possible today. Aaron Rodgers, of course, uh, announces uh, via some various reports that he is going to resign uh, with the uh, Green Bay Packers for four years and $200 million. Uh, and then uh, the Denver Broncos make a blockbuster trade for Russell Wilson. And so everybody's talking about that now. Calvin Ridley was a topic on the morning shows, I guess, uh, for a little bit. Uh, but now everybody's talking uh, Aaron Rodgers and, uh, and Russell Wilson and how uh, their shake, uh, well, about how their updated situations are going to impact the season and who the favorite to win the Super Bowl is going to be and um, back to back to business as usual for the NFL. Yeah, well, because if it's just Calvin Ridley, then it's just one player, one team. I don't know if that's a major story. If it's a uh, symptom or it's a sign that there's more players doing this, then it's, a, I think, a big league-wide story. I mean, there's reports out there that the Falcons knew about this for a long time and that teams were interested in trading for Kelvin Ridley and they weren't going to trade him because they didn't want to, uh, you know, negotiate in bad faith and send a player who was facing a suspension to another team. So, it, yeah, it does seem like the NFL knew about this for a while and was waiting for the right time to announce it when it wouldn't be 
dominate the news cycle for as long as uh, they And to make sure that all the coaching and GM interviews that take place at the combine when they, each team uh, does a news conference um, and the players themselves, the, the rookie class that, that is attending the combine and meets with the media, um, we don't need every question to be about gambling and sports. Let's not have uh, too many questions or any questions asked about that. Let's move. Let's cycle through all those news conferences. We now have this little window here where we can release this information and then get right back to the business of, uh, of uh, positive NFL content. Um, I think, I think it's, one, that's, it's smart PR. Yeah, one lesson to take from this is you hear mentions or I've heard mentions that there's less risk for players to gamble on their sports and fix games for money because of how much money they make in salary now, that there isn't a financial incentive to try to make more money from the gambling. But what you see from Kelvin Ridley betting in smaller sums and things like that, that it really isn't about the money. It's about the, the action and the juice and the competitiveness and the addictiveness of betting on the games, especially if he was betting while he was inactive. So he was getting his competition fix in a different way because he couldn't play in the games. And you can see that players are susceptible to these things, even if they're making so much money that it would be foolish for them to risk their salaries to gamble. It's about boredom. You know, it's about, you know, trying to just do something to pass the time. I have this phone in my hand and I can just as easily bet an eight leg parlay on the NFL as I can uh, solve this wordle puzzle. Uh, plug to a fellow New York Times uh, subsidiary, Wordle. Um, you can play Wordle. Uh, the NFL will let you play Wordle all you want uh, without getting suspended. By the way, it should be noted uh, that it, as an NFL player, you are allowed to bet on anything you want legally, just not the NFL. So if he did have a Jones to, uh, to get some action, Calvin Ridley just as easily could have bet, and maybe he was, maybe he was also, um, he's got a bunch of sports. It was, this was allegedly done in, uh, in November. So basketball season, college and NBA, you got national hockey league. I don't know if, how much of a hockey fan Calvin Ridley is, um, not baseball, baseball would have been over, but, oh, you're even allowed to bet on college football if you play in the NFL. So there's a lot, a lot of ways he could have gotten his gotten his action and a lot of people would wonder why it's wrong to bet on your own team or bet on yourself that's a popular phrase in our culture especially when it comes to sports players are always encouraged to do that or praised for doing that in, in certain ways with their contracts and things like that so if you're not betting against your team you're not fixing the game you're only putting a, a greater incentive on what you were already out there to do to try your best to win the game Boxers and people out in Las Vegas used to bet on themselves all the time. And I bet you there were some times when they bet against each other, or bet, bet, a, a trainer maybe bet against his own guy. Uh, it's, <laughs> it happens. Um, Jonah, there's, uh, there's been a lot going on around Western New York too. Um, first off, I want to give a shout out uh, to uh, my original co-host of the Tim Graham show back when it was on terrestrial radio, Joe Licata. Uh, being uh, hired as the Williamsville South football coach, uh, his uh, alma mater. Uh, very happy for him. I know he's excited. Uh, he's considered that his dream job for a long time. 
so he leaves his post on the uh, UB staff uh, to uh, probably take a pay cut uh, to coach high school football, but it's what he loves to do. Um, pending board approval. Pending. Oh, okay. A snag in that tonight, which that almost never happens, but it's what makes oh, right. sometimes That's tonight. reporting I was these stories that was last difficult. Night. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Tonight. And it, if you read these type of stories in the newspaper, sometimes it's, they can be hard to write and hard to report ahead of time because everybody's very careful about not saying that it's official until the board votes on it. Right. Right. That's vote. true. It has, it's not official. As of this recording, I was getting my days mixed up. I thought that that was an agenda item uh, last night, but that that's tonight, you know, with uh, college basketball tournaments about to swing into full force, might as well remind everybody right now during this podcast that you can watch all the games, all the pay-per-views, whether it be uh, mixed martial arts, the boxing, what have you, at Amherst Pizza and Ale House, 55 Cross Point Parkway in Getzville. That's right off of Millersport Highway in the 990. Amherst Pizza and Ale House has a ton of TVs. You won't know where to look. Of course, if you got action on the game and uh, you don't play in the National Football League, uh, you'll be able to enjoy New York's legalized sports betting and uh, track all of your bets on all the TVs. Uh, recognized by ESPN.com as Western New York's top spot to watch sports, Amherst Pizza and Alehouse has a, a ton of energy going on in there, great foods. Uh, stop in or call for takeout and delivery, 716-625-7100. 716-625-7100. Amherst Pizza and Alehouse. Jonah, um, March Madness has begun. Uh, there are some conference tournaments that have already started. Uh, the Big Four gets going this week. Um, give us a spin. Give us a spin around the Big Four. And let's start with this. Let's see if I can do this in a creative way. Give, it, give me your thoughts on each of the four teams from least chance to make the NCAA tournament to best chance to make the NCAA tournament. Um, I'd have to think about that for a little bit. So I'm going to do something completely different. I want ah, to ask a question of uh, things, some things that have already happened at the lower levels because their calendar is a little bit different. Madai College won their conference championship as a bit of an upset as a number four seed the first time they've done that under Coach Keepak. Niagara County Community College won their region in men's and women's basketball, fourth year in a row for the women, second for the men. They're going to the national tournaments. Their coaches, Bill Beeline, Nate Patel, along with Keepak, all Men, have been mentored by Coach Mike McDonald. There's a bit of a coaching tree with a lot of local coaches coming that way, as well as an assistant down at Georgia State under Rob Lanier. The assistant's name is Jordan Glover. He came from Damon under Coach Mack, and they're going to the NCAA tournament as well. So a lot of, even though Damon didn't make the NCAA Division II tournament, they were the last team left out. The women did win their conference to make it, and they're going uh, to play their NCAA Division II first-round game Friday a lot of the coaches in the coaching tree from Mike McDonald are having some marked success. Coming into the Division I tournament, to answer your question, I think we've gone over that a few times over the weeks. The best chance to make the tournament is probably the UB women. They're the number two seed in the MAC. Toledo's number one seed and very good, but I think UB has an excellent chance of getting to the final and having a chance to win that game and go to the tournament. And they're probably – on the outside of getting in as an at-large team, but they're the of the local teams would have the best chance. So maybe the one that um, could play their way into that conversation 
in a way. On the men's side, St. Bonaventure is close to that. They're the number four seed in the A-10, which all year long has been talked about as a one-bid league. As it's coming to the end, it's, there's four teams that are kind of in that mix, and maybe they will get more than one team in, but they're not going to get four teams in. If Bona goes all the way to the Atlantic 10 final and loses, I don't think they get in, but they're in that conversation and going to be a high seed in the NIT, so their season's probably not over if they don't win the A-10 tournament. Um, they've won eight of their last nine games. Oshuna Shune had an ankle injury, but only cost him missing one game, and he was able to come back for their final home game. And we'll see if he's 100% healthy going into the A-10 tournament, but he's able to play, and that's a good thing for, say, Bonaventure. UB lost their last two games. UB men after a nine-game winning streak. They're the fifth seed in the MAC. I think they can win, beat Akron in that quarterfinal game, but they're going to have a tough semifinal against Toledo. They beat him pretty bad on UB's home floor last week. Um, UB got the horses to win the tournament, but with their performance against some of the better teams in the MAC this season, it would be a surprise if they go to Cleveland and win three games in a row. Yeah, Toledo uh, favored to win the MAC uh, and appear in the NCAA tournament for the first time since 1980, one of the longest droughts uh, in the country. Um, but regarding uh, University of Buffalo, uh, what are, what is their NIT resume look like? Well, they have 19 wins. And so if they win this quarterfinal game, they'll get to 20. I think they'll have a record. You know, that's going to come down to maybe where they slide with the other MAC teams. Um, there's definitely going to be one MAC team in the NIT. It's going to be the regular season champion. If the regular season champion doesn't win the tournament, that gets an automatic bid. There's been recent years when two MAC teams have gotten into the NIT. And I think Buffalo could be one of those two MAC teams if they get to the final, maybe they could be considered one of the three postseason teams that, that go to the NCAA or the NIT, but I think they could get left out because there's other good teams, Ohio and Kent state. Those are the second and third seeds or Kent state's the second seed now. So they're probably ahead of UB in that regard right now, unless UB beats Toledo, gets to the final, then maybe that boosts their resume. I think UB was looking like an NIT team for much of the past February when they didn't lose a game but now they might be on the outside looking in with other MAC teams going to the NIT, I think. Um, I should mention Niagara because I don't know if Niagara has a great chance in men's or women's basketball winning the MAC tournament, especially the men, because Iona looks pretty formidable in that tournament. But Niagara has had their – the women are the fourth seed and have a winning record in the conference for the first time since 2005. Jerry Sullivan wrote a nice column in the Niagara Gazette about their pressure defense and Angel Parker – Cardinal Hara leads the country in steals, and I covered their last game. They forced 39 turnovers. Now, this was an overtime game, but that's a gigantic number. They didn't lead at all during regulation, came back to tie the game with two minutes left, and then they make nine straight steals and go on an 18-0 run before the other team gets a shot at the basket in overtime. I've never seen anything like that in any level of basketball, except for maybe games I've played in when I had to bring the ball up. But um, I wonder what the record is. What the, what the record is for for uh, turnovers in a game yeah i think the record the all-time like ncaa record might be higher than that but i, I what, well it's got to be check to see if that was a niagara record because that's a huge number it's massive um, yeah yeah and, and i've seen it lower levels niagara community college forces a lot of turnovers against some teams that are just really inferior opponents and i don't think i've ever seen 39 um it's in 45 minutes uh, even with the overtime that's pretty incredible the niagara men finished with two very Big wins. Uh, 
I think they won the game that I covered by 22 points, and that was their biggest win at conference play. And then they went out and won the next game by even more than that. They're the fifth seed. They're going to play Marist in the quarterfinals. It's the first time in a few years that they're not playing in that preliminary opening round. Um, they're still below 500 and, and going to have to win the tournament, I think, to finish with a winning record for the season. But they could get to having a winning record, which they haven't done at any point in the last three seasons, if they win the quarterfinal and semifinal and make it to the championship game. And I think even if they don't win the tournament, if Niagara can finish strong like that and get to the title game, that'll be a you know a good sign of progress for what Greg Paulus is building in this program. Even though he has seven seniors, and I'm not sure how many of them are going to be back, and they might be in a bit of a rebuild next season. They finished the season very strong, and it, that could carry over to next year for both the men and women at Niagara. And Canisius has won three in a row, even though they're the last seed in the MAC. They finished rather strong. And they, they won on the road tonight. finally. They got that road win, and then they came and won two um, home games. And, and, you know, I don't want to be too flippant about this, but they do have a player, one of eight players in NCAA Division One from Ukraine, George Moslenikov. He's been starting. I don't know if that's been a bit of a rallying point. They're wearing T-shirts in support of Ukraine before the games in warm-ups. And there's probably a lot of other basketball factors, and it would be rather reductive to say that's the reason why they're winning, but I think that maybe has helped their collective spirit and getting them to play together and play for each other and finish the season on a bit of a positive note for what's been a very down season. They've lost 20 games, but they play Fairfield tonight in the preliminary round, and if they can – win another game in the MAC tournament, I think that would be a good finish to a down season for Canisius. I notice a uh, red hat with white lettering behind you. What uh, is that a Make America Great Again hat? It's not. You know, that hat says sports, which is, oh. I don't know if you ever noticed, Norm McDonald wore a hat like that. And then I saw it pop up in an ad and I went and bought it. And it doesn't even fit my head. So I put it on that bookshelf and it's a bit of a prop. Like when Homer Simpson has a pennant and it says sports or my team on it. Right, right. Yeah. Good. I get it. I like it. Because I you can't like root for a specific team, but I You're a sports fan. Athletics in general. Yeah. Sports gambling. I should get another hat that says gambling. <laughs> uh, Jonah, what else is there to talk about? Do we have to clear out the notepads? Uh, what do we have? We talk no, Sabres. I mean, we talk we Bills. We could get a little more granular about some of these basketball games and teams and things like that we did, but I don't know if we really kind of did the fast break style preview of that. Maybe we can come back later in the week. Yeah. Who's still playing, still in position to make the various turns. We'll know a lot more about who's got a chance at the NCAAs and who's got a chance at the NITs and who's on the bubble later this week. And we'll know a bit more about some of the teams that might be coming to Buffalo and whether there will be local connections or fun storylines or name coaches and things like that um, we really won't know we won't be able to look at it on Friday or Saturday or Thursday and say exactly who's coming but we'll have a much better idea of who's in the tournament and the possibilities for when that gets announced Sunday and then those games are here next week yeah I'll be covering that for the athletic I'm uh I'm going to be doing a spin all around the sports the combine got a bill story running this week we got stadium stuff Eichel's return on Thursday, the Heritage Classic up in Hamilton. Sabres are playing the Maple Leafs outside. Then March Madness. It's a good thing I can cover more than one sport. It's a good thing. I or guess. I could, could use your help covering junior college basketball up at the Niagara Gazette. There's been a lot of games to scribe over the last couple of weeks. 
I know John Warrow is not covering the Heritage Classic because he is going to be on assignment in Pittsburgh. Uh, are you getting uh, the call to uh, the Heritage Classic? Are you getting called up to the? I, I'm, I am not covering the Heritage oh. Classic. The Canadian Press is covering that. Um, I think I can get over the border to cover that game, but that was a question at various points weeks ago whether that would even be possible. Actually, one more thing to mention. You know, it's, it's baseball season, even though the uh, MLB is supposed not to be. Playing. College baseball has started. Niagara County Community College was ranked number one in the country in the preseason. They're now number two because they didn't play last week and some other teams played, but they started their season tomorrow. I'm writing that story for the Niagara Gazette today, and they got a chance to win a national championship this spring. That's, that's cool. That's cool. That's good stuff. Friend, longtime friend of the show, and trip. Yeah, they don't have to buy a sponsorship anymore to get regular promotion on this show. It's unsponsored content. That's right. They, uh, they're no longer a sponsor of the show. We're talking about them at will. Jonah, thanks for this. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll do it again a little later in the week. All right. Thanks to everybody for listening to Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs, and business consultants. CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara community through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2020 and 2021 to keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400, and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you. We'll